HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. My name is Sarah Kim, and I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm a Cheeselandian because while life is great, cheese makes it better. Go to Cheeselandia.com to learn more, and if it's for you, sign up. This week on Meet and 3, we head into the second part of our mini-series on global trade, where we talk about all things sweet, from chocolate and sugarcane to the cultural festival that accompanied the growth of the date industry in the U.S., They're using this romance and fantasy to say, dates are exotic and you should consume them. I'd like to think of the food that we eat as archaeological artifacts, in part because the history of humanity is in the stands in your produce market. It's not like other foods. We have very, like, personal feelings about chocolate. Tune in to Meat and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you get your podcasts. So on this episode of Soul by Todd Richards, I'm welcoming a really uh, fantastic chef that I've known for for a few years now. Uh, he's a, up was up in Chicago. I think he was, uh, had, might have two homes uh, right now. Um, <laughs> his food is delicious, uh, and and what I like about uh, this first season of of Soul is that we're talking about um, two of my favorite places to live. One in Chicago, being a native in, in Atlanta. But I want to welcome uh, the uh, Food Network's Vegas Chef uh, Prize Fight at the Flamingo, uh, my good buddy, uh, Chef Lamar Moore. How are you today, sir? I'm good, Chef. Thanks for having me, man. So let me make sure I said that right. Food Network's Vegas Chef Prize Fight at yep. the Flamingo in Las Vegas. So are you uh, full time there? Are you, are you always out there uh, in Vegas or, or where are you? Yeah, I'm in Vegas. Um, obviously, you know, We've all, from the culinary standpoint, have faced a lot of different challenges with, you know, COVID and pandemic. So, you know, I'm here, boots on the ground, you know, keeping this place as uh, running as solid as possible. And um, I think it's interesting because, you know, as I've been here, I've never been in Vegas, you know, as consistent as I have now. And just seeing how we operate here, it's almost like Vegas is on its own island. And, you know, the rest of uh, the United States is operating very differently. Right. You know, I mean, obviously... You know, obviously, we, you know, we're we're abiding by, you know, the laws and the rules and, you know, being masked up and six feet apart. But, you know, most recently I'm hearing everyone else is shutting down and <laughs> Vegas is opening up more stuff. So oh, wow. um, it's interesting. 
Uh, so leaving uh, Chicago, uh, going to Vegas, I mean, how much of it is not really the wardro- wardrobes are not too bad when you think about um, those uh, cold Vegas nights. But there's not that much snow in Vegas. How does it feel not to uh, be around any snow with this time of year? <laughs> you know, uh, I had forgotten about that for a bit until now, you know, we're deep in November. <laughs> and for right. the first time uh, since I've been here, I think three days ago, first rain it has since April. People were freaking out. And I'm like, God, that's not rain. I'm from Chicago. And then I'm close <laughs> to the mountains up by Red Rocks. And I saw some snow in the mountains. I was like, awesome. They're like, oh, my God, we had a heavy snow. And I'm like, no, nah, no. Nah, until you're putting salt and, and, and uh, cat litter in your car, you ain't had enough snow yet. So, <laughs> wow. I forgot about the cat litter. You know? Oh, man. You, know, you got to have a bag of that. You got to wheel out if it gets too slick. So, uh, uh, you know, sunny days. And it's been some cooler nights more than usual. I forgot to turn my heat on the other night. I actually needed it. It was... 37 degrees so you know i want to sleep comfortably not cold so well that's the chicago summer so that that's uh <laughs> you know or it can be you know compared to uh that winter that you're going through so let's talk about the show here and the uh one question i get asked all the time you know after competing on iron chef and, and watching other other chefs compete is it for real is it real um is there, do you really have as much time as they give you to do all these things uh, during the taping? Um, I'll definitely say with uh, Vegas Chef Prize Fight, definitely real. Um, I mean, when I was presented with the opportunity to do it, I took my time and, you know, wanted to see what the logistics was about because I wanted to be able to cook, you know, how I felt and also my personality. And I think, you know, if you watch the show, if viewers that watch the show and people that know me or know of me, you know, over years of cooking, you'll see some of the same things you see on TV, the same thing you see, you know, if you saw me, you know, face to face, you know, the time in order to cook. I mean, I mean, you know, it's a lot of people don't realize it's a lot of hurry up and wait. I mean, you're, you're, you're there for a good 16, 17 hours. And, you know, as chefs, we're used to that. But the challenge is, is, you know, we're used to that when our energy is high and you're there 16, 17 hours through all the editing and through all the process. But you probably cook about an hour. Right. <laughs> so, you know, you're sitting there antsy waiting to get in the kitchen and then you get that rush. It's time to sit the hell back down and then and, and wait to, you know, find out if you're eliminated or having a retape, having to do a rewalk again or rewrap. So uh, uh, it, it's, it's, it's challenging, but definitely, definitely real. What about the part about being uh, sworn to secrecy? I mean, how many, I mean, I tell people uh, signing these documents is as much as signing for your uh, mortgage on, on, your, on your house. And, um, but <laughs> you know, the sworn to secrecy seems to be a curious question that people ask all the time as well. Uh, you know, it's very true. I mean, at one point, I mean, I'm, that's actually a really good question. You know, at one point when we first started the show, they told us that we'll be quarantined and they were taking our phones and everything away from us and you know, pretty much taking us away from the world during the time we're taping. And, you know, for, for the viewers and listeners out there, you know, each each operation, I mean, I'm sure you're saying thing to you, Chef, you know, we know people that have done different shows. And I know all of my friends on Top Chef, they are quarantined. They don't have no, they take their wallets, they can't spend anything, they take their TV. They're living in this room by themselves until it's time to be taped. And if you think about it, you know, if you're doing minimum eight weeks, I mean, that's a lot. If you're going longer than that and you're just basically in a box, waiting to go and work Especially on your craft. Especially if, if you don't win. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And that's the other piece. So when we started the show, they did that to us. They took away everything we had. And then one of the producers was like, ah, you know what, we'll let them loose. But we're going to take their phones when they're in studio. So I'm in a studio, you know, 15, 16 hours a day with no phone. So I'm basically just sitting in a, in a green room in a box waiting to cook. So the secrecy side, they, you know, it's very, very serious. And you're absolutely correct. You're going to sign every single document and then on top of that, when you win, 
you're in a hot water, obviously, because I won. I'm saying that, but we just being a part of the show, you'd have you're in that whole waiting limbo process. So, example, we finished taping um, right in the beginning of October of last year. Okay. So imagine the show didn't air until April. I mean March, and then they were indecisive about that because it was going to be late summer. Right. So you're basically hold, holding holding that jug of water <laughs> for a long time. <laughs> And knowing that, you know, you got it in a bucket. And then also I was traveling out back and forth to Las Vegas. Right. And they had to sneak me in and sneak me out because a lot of the media knew about the show and knew about the taping. And people saw me. So I had to sneak in and sneak out to have meetings and so on and so forth. So the world couldn't catch who won because they were looking for it. So they wow. were spotted, spotted all over Flamingo <laughs> and all over Caesar's properties. So as, as crazy as it was, it was kind of fun. But like, man, I mean, people take that very seriously. They're trying to find out. Everyone wants that leak of information, man. Wow, that, that that is crazy. So you were playing uh, James Bond uh, or, or, or Bourne su uh, Supremacy in Vegas, uh, waiting for uh, the show to actually air. Um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean, even the part where you know you have your phone for fifteen hours, you know, just sitting there in a box seems uh, it seems like a bigger challenge than actually being on the show, cooking it itself. Man, uh, another great one. I think, especially you know, here in Vegas. I think that if you if you are one of those type of people that are succumbed to, you know, what I mean, I tell people Vegas is either you coming to spend money, or you're coming to make money. <laughs> right. So if, if there is no balance in that. I mean, you're surrounded by any and everything. I mean, even my time being here and you know, I found some awesome 24 hour restaurants or little casino bars that have good food. And, you know, we should get off late. So, you know, right. it's, it's kind of nice to be taken care of. But if you're not if you're not, you know, don't have balance in that, you're going to be in trouble. So yeah, once you get, you know, once you get out, it's like being, you know, an animal locked in a cage and you're ready to, you know, bust out and, 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 and tear up the world. But I'll tell you, I know for me, and I, I try to explain this very softly to people that ask me as well, you know, you have two different types of chefs. You have, you know, our culinary chefs when we cook in the kitchen. Right. TV chefs is totally different. <laughs> and I knew that no matter what, I had to get my mind and my body right because I was, I, you know, I, I, I competed two times before, once on Bobby Flay, once on Chop, even though that's one day. And for for a Vegas Chef Prize fight, it took three days for one episode. The first I mean, day is, wait, is wait, what wait, they wait, call wait, it. Wait, 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 slow down. I want to make sure everyone understand what you just said. So each episode mm -hmm. takes three days and for them to produce that that episode <laughs> that you did. Okay, yep. I'll go ahead. Okay. Yeah, so three days to produce one episode. First day is what they call you know, pre-elimination where you get <clears throat> your little grab box and then you get to pick your teams. Mm -hmm. The second day is the actual elimination uh, challenge. And the third day, we're sitting all day in interviews. So a lot of the, a lot of the excerpts that you see where, you know, they're talking one-on-one -on -one or showing our faces, right. that day is specifically for interviews. And that can go 12, 14 hours. So you imagine, you know, talking in front of a camera or to someone in this green, dark room, either hot or cold, mm -hmm. for 15, 16 hours, because obviously they have to edit everything down. And then if, again, if you're continuously winning, mm -hmm. the very next day you're getting back into it and then you don't know your call times. So what they do is they send us call sheets or their producer would text you, you know, late that night and say, okay, chef, your call time is 6 a.m. Wow. And then, you know, it could be 10, 11 o'clock at night when they text you that. So, you know, every day I was always, you know, again, getting my mind and my body set for that. And, you know, I knew physically as a chef, we have a hard time. So I go to the gym and then I go to, I go to the studio. How many, I mean, and that was just for one episode, but how many episodes uh, did the show uh, run? It, well, eight, eight episodes. Eight, right. 
And so now, you know, we're talking and there was no break. Did you guys ha even have a break in between? I hear sometimes with, you know, short runs, uh, they don't have a full break. Uh, uh, you know, everything is all, you know, it's a three days repeat every every fourth day. Um, after the third week we did, we had two days off consecutively. Okay. So wow. yeah, but you're, you're correct though. That, they, that's, at one point that's, not a, that's, that's, that's not a chef's life, two days off in a row. I mean, <laughs> that, that, no. you, that's even further from normal that you were, <laughs> were that you Big were, doing, you know, I mean, that's great. We're going to talk about winning in, in one second. We're going to take a break here and, uh, you're listening to soul by Todd Richards. My name is Sarah Kim and I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm a Cheeselandian because while life is great, cheese makes it better. Wisconsin cheese has proven time and time again to be a delicious expression of craft, hard work, and tradition. As a Cheeselandian, I'm able to share a Gouda experience with fellow cheese and food lovers nationwide, as well as connect with cheese producers and cheesemongers, taking my love of cheese to another level. I invite you to join Cheeselandia because during these difficult times, it has been even more important to take it easy and get cheesy. The Cheeselandia community and events have been the glue helping to keep us together and connected, and I would love it if you would join me. And let's face it, if you hear the word cheese and get a little hungry, then you've found a place you can call home. To find out more about Cheeselandia, go to Cheeselandia.com. So we're back on Soul by Todd Richards with Chef Lamar. And so now you're residing in Vegas. Uh, and as a chef, I know it has to be great to be uh, on the center stage by winning a great show. But living in Vegas, there's a lot of traps that go on down there. There's a lot of glitz and glamour. How are you uh, dealing with that glitz and glamour besides working 18 hours a day? Um, I, you, <laughs> you know, it's, it's different. Um, you know, the first month I got here, it was a huge culture shock for me. I mean, you know, growing up as a kid on the south side of Chicago, once you never, you never ever imagined that you would command an opportunity like this in Vegas. And two, you know, when I got here, I was, I got off the plane and I was, I got here really, really late. Um, and I was going through the airport and I saw my photo on the side of a building. Oh, wait, wait, you, wait. So, so slow down, slow down. You got to tell these stories slow. We got some time. <laughs> so you got off the plane for Vegas. Yeah. Uh -huh. and, and you and you never thought about this being in the airport. So you so you got off the plane to Vegas, and, and then what took place? I uh, I got off a plane and I saw a photo myself. You know, talking about Bugs and Myers uh, Steakhouse and Food Network, and I was in culture shock. I walked past, <laughs> and I was like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> and I would have never expected that because I've never seen. You know, you, you as a as a kid and as a culinary, you you always see. You know the celebrity chefs, and you see them everywhere, especially in Vegas. Mm -hmm. I never would have thought that my face would be a part of it, even though I knew what I was walking into. But I guess I did it. And then, uh, like a couple of days later, I jumped in a cab to go grab me something to eat, <laughs> and the video is up. And so the guy driving back is like, "I knew your face looked familiar." So you know, after a while, it did become, I won't say it, not necessarily tough but trying to find a different way of managing it because mm -hmm. as much as I appreciated it, you know, I was living in a hotel also for the first couple of months. So I never had a place to escape. So I would get off work and try to go grab a bite to eat and people knew who I was. And right. I was like, I, I didn't think it was up to that magnitude, but as I started to move around in Vegas, 
it really was and it really is. And 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 like you're saying, it's so Vegas has so much to offer. I have found ways to be able to 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 kind of dip in and dip out. And I mean, another crazy story. I, I went. This is far. That's close to my house where I live, mm. and it's super cool, laid back, and I can go in there and chill out. And as much as I say that, I'm sitting there eating. OJ Simpson walks in. Oh just, wow! <laughs> just very casual, right? With his team, went in the room. They start mm-hmm. watching football, mm-hmm. and 20 minutes later, Mike Tyson walks in. Very casual. He's on the other side, and I was like, okay, obviously this area where I choose is you know, a common area for celebrities to hang out and they can just be themselves and chill out. Right. They had no security detail, no nothing. They were just relaxing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, what? So, 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 I guess if they're A-list, what, which list are you on now in Vegas? It seems Man, like I'm still, in, I'm still in the D-side. You know, <laughs> if you're still in a room with uh, Mike Tyson at the same bar, you know, that that's crazy. Uh, yeah, let me tell you. Mm-hmm. They, their, their money ain't like my money ain't like their money. So I'm still on the B side. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I understand that, right? I, I, hey, but you know, no one knows the difference if you if you look at uh, people's net worth. Like you know, you see sometimes you see a celebrity and and they worth two hundred thousand dollars. You know, you know. So people, yeah. you know, assume because you win, assume because you're on on television or your face is plastered around the airport that the riches come with it. But really, what do you plan on taking from this experience in order to build riches and, and more fame for yourself? You know, it's building around people. And I mean, if I can go a little bit deeper, um, you know, I remember probably 20 years ago, maybe a little bit less, you know, I remember hearing about a chef named Jeff Henderson and how, you know, his struggle became mass success for him for someone that didn't have an experience. Well, recently we got in contact with each other. And why I bring that up is because, you know, when I look up and down the strip, I don't necessarily see any other black or African-American chefs that are being, that are either doing what I'm able to do or have the opportunity to do it. So the goal is, is to continue to, to, to help and to teach other black chefs, not just black, but obviously, you know, other chefs too, but more importantly, again, as, as a black kid, as a black man, I've never seen that. And to be, have the opportunity to do that, it gives hope for other chefs to, to say that, you know, they can do the same thing. And from the, you know, the financial standpoint, man, it's just constantly spreading my, my wings more than I would have thought. You know, I never, I never understood, you know, what endorsements were. I never understood right. what having uh, uh, um, collaborations with huge companies that I respect so dearly and I have them, you know, reach to me and, you know, we have some, some great successes. You know, I think those are opportunities. You know, when you talk about some of the sports players, you know, how, their contract could be a million dollars or be $200,000, but then their endorsements make them more than their contracts. And as chefs now, the, the, the level of popularity has increased so much. I mean, hell, look at social media. Social media gives us another opportunity to like extend what we would have not thought. I mean, you have probably six sponsors, roughly a month uh, or more. Yeah. Right. And absolutely. And, that, you know, that's that's kind of my, my, my point. But I, I, I want to share this because I think people people ask about that. And as you brought that up, mm-hmm. you know, when I when I look at sponsorships and I look at one the opportunity to, to gain some financial success and also do what I do, I will not I will only market myself with sponsorships, sponsors that align with what I believe in. Right. You know, it's one thing to, to what they say is to catch the bag. But it's another thing that when you when you're saying you're supporting that company or that company supporting you, you guys stars align and to, to what it is that you do as a person and as a chef. So I just want to put that out there. Where does the, um, the passion for cooking come from with you? I mean, we see it, it's evidence in 
uh, you winning, that you have a passion for it. And it's also evidence in the way that you approach life and give back to the community. But where did that love or that resonance of food come from uh, in your childhood? You know, my childhood, food, food was all about family. Um, my grandmother, <clears throat> both of my grandmothers, they took care of a lot of church homes, a lot of church people, people in the communities. You know, one of my grandmothers, Marie, who I uh, uh, took a lot of my recipes from, she, she always would bring people in the house, strangers on the corner, strangers in the buildings. Um, <laughs> I, my other grandmother, she took her home and turned it into a house where elderly people could live that didn't have any family to take care of them. Wow. So I saw that a lot when I was a kid and it was always, you know, Sunday, Sunday selling dinners at the church. And then we get off church, grandma left the church early and she started Sunday dinner. And so when we look at as an adult, like Sunday supper and being able to help the communities, I feel like being so entrenched in growing up watching my grandmother and my grandparents, you know, really put their heart and soul into it. After already working a job, I felt it was important for me to carry on that same echelon. And so that's why I do it. I mean, that, that's really fantastic and understanding that, uh, like most of us, it starts with either our parents or, you know, grandparents or someone that, you know, we grew up next door to. But it doesn't seem as if those, um, uh, you know, the fanfare of celebrity has has kept you grounded still with your family and things like that. I just want to ask a, a different question. Um when you talk about family and the way food is produced or the way food is raised, uh, how is it, you know, running a steakhouse with multiple people, uh, you know, at a time compared to maybe running a smaller place like the one in Chicago? Uh, it's very different because, you know, with with the Flamingo, it's more of a corporate corporate structure. And so you have hundred different people with a hundred different ideas and a hundred different ways of doing things. Um, trying to, you know, embody and understand community, that's a challenge because, I mean, hell, it's, it's a strip, it's Vegas. It's a multi-million dollar operation that, you know, when I looked at, you know, my place in Chicago, it would take us probably three weeks if we could net $45,000, you know, just in, in sales and revenue. And here, at, you know, at the Flamingo, we can get $45,000 in an hour to depend on based off the sales and alcohol. Wow. I'm sure alcohol is pretty, pretty strong in, in that number. <laughs> and, and the reason why I kind of ask that question, because I want to round out, you know, this conversation, not just about only being a celebrity or considered a celebrity chef, but also um, people might assume that you stop running business and you're there actually running business just by the way you rattled off numbers. How important uh, has that been in the success that you're having there thus far? Whew, that was a good one. I agree. You know, I think first, you know, when people come to Bugsy and Myers, some are shocked that I'm there. We have an open kitchen. So when they come in, they can see right through the kitchen and people see me like, oh, wow, he's here. Can we see him? Mm -hmm. um, second, you know, people did go through reservations and they also asked. And I touch approximately 60, 70 tables a day. In addition to, you know, being entrenched with, you know, my executive chef, my chef de cuisine, you know, I do have a team of chefs and we are constantly crunching and looking at numbers because, you know, at the end of the day, you can be the biggest celebrity that you are. But the fall of a celebrity is where they miss on taking care of the accountables. And my corporate background has always been to be able to run operations. They're very concise. And it's important that of my success being here that I'm involved in the day to day operations as much as I can. Now, there comes a point where, you know, I would like to kind of step out and do other things. 
But more importantly, you know, you got to take care of house so that the house can take care of you. I think that most times uh, we miss that part of business education. And I don't think it's intentional that we miss it. I just see that, um, you know, when you look at people maybe on social media talking about their success, but they're not really uh, putting it into a sound business plan where it makes sense, you know, such as going to a discount restaurant store to purchase something than going to a regular grocery store, you know, the taxes and all that stuff with it. But it seems like that your corporate background also maybe have prepared you for the way you handled yourself on television. Uh, how much of those kind of corporate backgrounds uh, or being in that corporate background environment had on your career? Um, it helped a lot. You know, I feel like, you know, uh, a humbleness meets culture, meets discipline. You know, I went to culinary school so that I can learn discipline in the kitchen and learn some foundation about being a chef. You know, I, I grew up with, with, you know, my mom and my brothers and my stepfather and my grandparents where, you know, they're always saying, <clears throat> my grandmother all had this saying, you know, you you can always be one paycheck away from being on the streets. And so when I look at the money I make, I look at the money I, I make with companies. It's important to understand that you are in a high competitive environment and your job is to wake up every day and just to, to be as competitive as the other as the other person, but don't lose what got you there. And that is so important to me when I get up every day. It doesn't matter when I when I get off work, when I'm at work, I'm still the same person from the day I walk in those doors to the day I walk out of them, even you know, from a social media standpoint. Um, I, people, <clears throat> again, when you talk about that, people ask me all the time, like, how is it that you're gravitating so well on on, on your social media? What what tips and pointers can you give? And mm -hmm. I, I literally, it's simple. I, you stay true to yourself, be who you are, and people will gravitate around you. And I think sometimes people, when I, when I give that answer, they're like, no, nah, it's more than that. No, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's not. Right. It's not. It took, I, went, I went and did a timeline check on myself, mm -hmm. and I started really, really pushing hard on social media in 2014. And I looked at the content I put out then versus what I put out now. The only difference in it is the growth of my career and my success behind it and failures. But mm -hmm. the way I, the way I move, how I cook, what I do, you know, the, the, the mentorship programs that I work with, the, the grocery stores I work with to help these communities and neighborhoods, you know, when the pandemic hit, I mean, that, just talk about that briefly. You know, when the pandemic hit, I didn't know what, what to do, just like anyone else. You know, I was expected to be out here and get this restaurant open mm -hmm. and everything was shut down. And World City Kitchen was something that got thrown my way. And they were looking to venture into Chicago. And I thought of it two ways. I thought it would be an opportunity for me to help, you know, people and help the frontline workers. Mm -hmm. And at that time, you know, some buddies of mine who own a restaurant group, they were really good friends of mine. We've known each other since they had one restaurant. And it was a great opportunity for me to work with them when they already had some initiatives going. So to, to say that, and when you ask that question, I remember sitting down right before I came out here to Vegas and I sat down with one of the owners, the restaurant group is 50-50 restaurant group. I sat down with Scott and I said, you know, I really appreciate you guys, you know, being able to work beside me and helping me. You know, he turned to me and looked at me. He said, no, you don't realize how you helped me. And I said, how? He said, dude, the revenue that we were able to bring in and being able to hire staff, if you hadn't have given us that opportunity, we probably wouldn't have been open. I would have never known. Oh, wow. Because I, I wasn't, my goal wasn't to dip into his business. My, my goal was not looking at leverage. I, my goal was, is that they had, <clears throat> 10 restaurants that were struggling, not making money. And they had really big location in one of their newer restaurants where I could work out of and be able to execute meals with their staff and their team. And they were able to retain their team and their staff. In over three months, we put out 60,000 meals, which 
when they said that number to me, I hadn't thought about it because I was so entrenched into that. And so when we talk about being a celebrity chef, you know, it's no disrespect to this to the other chefs that are out there. If they have the opportunity where they can be in front of their their spaces and then have their teams, you know, push out those meals, that's great. But I can tell you that I was behind the line every day with those with those cooks in the front of the house team. Not only did I prep the food, I executed food, I packed the food, and I delivered to every place that we had on the list because that was important for me to be involved and to be a part of the communities because that's what I do. Now there may be times where you know I may send someone else <laughs> to go do something differently, but I enjoy being able to be out there and actually meet people and try to help as much as I can. But I'm not going to always be able to do that. So I think that's where the disconnect comes in sometimes. I, but I think there's a balance, you know. I think there's a balance, absolutely. In, in, you know, in between the you know being in front of the camera, being behind the scenes on the line, and uh, really trying to create a business model that's successful. Uh, you have to find equal time and equal balance and then give back to the community on top of it. I mean, that is a challenge of its own. But somehow that perseverance has always been in you since I've known you. I mean, I've seen it. And when we came up there, and I don't think you were there to come see you. Uh, actually, we were there when the snowstorm happened. Uh, yeah. You know, you weren't there, but your staff was there. And it's still some of the most delicious food I had in Chicago. Uh, those wings Thanks, are great. But how much of this menu uh, is your menu? Because I'm, and the reason why I'm asking this also is because these are the kind of questions I get. And I want to see if you get the same kind of questions. So how much of this is, is your menu? Are you really writing all of the menus and everything for the restaurant? So 40 percent of it is mine. The remainder is, is, is a collaborative, collaborative team effort. Mm -hmm. um, and again, As it we should talk be. About, right, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and when we talk about, you know, television. If you go down the line in the show, if you pay attention enough, you'll see some of the same nuances. For example, first episode, I made a Cajun ribeye. You can walk into Bugsy and Meyer and say, hey, you know, we saw Lamar on Food Network. So what people do, do you have, there a way I can get Cajun spice on a ribeye? They're gonna tell you yes, because I have that spice available. Right. Obviously right. I, won't, I won't with the fried chicken. <laughs> right. so, you know, so it's there and I do it because, you know, it adds, people want to, that's, that's kind of what they're coming for. And, you know, what we say, we give the people what they want and what they ask for. And, you know, we use it for other applications, too. Right. Um, you know, fried chicken, people are going crazy for it. So we offer it on Mondays, Monday to Wednesdays because, you know, it's, a, it's an addition to the menu that takes a while to to make. It's, you know, the way we cook our food, you know, it's a little bit slower. It's a little it's a different pace. And, <laughs> right. you know, we and, and, and on top of that, too, it kind of gives a little bit more buzz. You know, people get to come. You don't come on those days. There's a chance that you won't be able to get it from a preparation, for, uh, you know, preparation <laughs> standpoint. Uh, so so wait wait so the fried chicken is only Monday Monday through Wednesday right <laughs> Monday through Wednesday oh that's great I mean so most people travel <laughs> on weekends so you probably have a uh -huh. line outside the door people wanting fried I mean that's crazy from, from the south side of Chicago uh, you know now in Vegas frying chicken and and kicking everybody's butt <laughs> the other uh, final question I really want to ask is not necessarily about the business of celebrity and or the business of being uh, a chef in general. I wanted to ask this question of you is what makes you happy? I mean, what makes you happy in a sense that it continues to show on uh, either on television, at the restaurant or IG, what makes you happy? Yeah, you know, honestly, people make me happy. <clears throat> I love being able to, I found, I found, I found myself being a people pleaser. And as long as the people around me are happy, I'm willing to sacrifice what I have to make people happy and to keep people happy. I think the, the happier your teams are, 
the easier it is to wake up in the morning and have a great day. The last thing I want is someone to call me, which happens, you know, with the horrible day. My family, my family makes me super happy. Uh, you know, to tell you a quick story about that, you know, and, and I don't mind sharing this. So right before I got ready to come out here to Vegas and people, you know, I think know the relationship I have with my mom, definitely my family, my mom. Mm -hmm. And um, <clears throat> we were, I was preparing to come out here and I was out doing meals and found out that my house had gotten shot up and my mom's car. So there was some crime in the wow. area. My brother and my cousin was sitting on the porch mm. and they shot up my mom's entire house in the car. And that's the house that we grew up in. And I was days away from coming out here and I had to hold off because my, thankfully, thank God, my, my mom and my brother didn't get hit, but my cousin got wow. shot. And my brother grabbed him to turn around to get him because he looked at me and see him because he had got shot in the, in the hip and he dragged him in the house. Long story short, you know, that was a big blow for me. So now I'm in the middle of sitting in between two decisions. And like you said, you know, what makes me happy is, you know, my family and friends and employees. Mm -hmm. And now not only do I have a soldier down, now my mom doesn't have a house. And I'm in the middle of trying to get to Vegas and then trying to figure those things out, you know, with my family. Now, obviously, things have gotten a lot better because that was back in June. And now this is, you know, uh, November. That's a big blow for me because mm -hmm. here I am out on the streets helping the community and then a place where I grew up and in my backyard has no, is, is no longer there. So I mean, is it it, uh, um, one of the most uh, thankless, well, I won't say thankless in the sense that uh, people are not grateful for what we do as chefs, but behind the scenes, uh, cooking for 15, 16 hours a day and still have to deal with uh, going home to family and have tragedy in family as well. It's no wonder that we are uh, still considered one of the most insane uh, professions in the world. But let me ask you one final question uh, while we wrap up here. we got about two minutes left. What do you see next for you? I know it's not a short answer. That's why I told you only got two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but, but really, what, what do you see next for you? Um, you know, next for me, at some point... Um, definitely want to write a cookbook so i'm working mm -hmm. on you know the logistics and that well, I think you know that's I, important. I can i can always help you with that you know uh, i i was i was about to touch on that because <laughs> <laughs> your cookbook is outstanding i was going to touch on that and um you know what down the line I, this is going to sound crazy but this has been kicking me in the behind for years mm -hmm. i want to open a culinary school wow wow i you know uh, I, have ne I never imagined you would say that explain more because, so like I took a, a, a consulting job working for Macy's and it was the first time where, to be quite honest, I worked around so many, that the kitchen was predominantly African-American mm -hmm. and they were just so hungry. Like everything that I made, and, and I'm telling you shit, it could be down to a pancake from scratch. And I turn around and I got everybody standing behind me learning how to make a pancake from scratch. And they were just so excited. And they was all different age groups, down from like 18 up to like 50. And they were just so engaged in that. And I, and I have been in this, this has been in my head for years. And they just can't afford to go to culinary school. They can't, you know, they don't have the know-how to be able to go and enroll themselves or to be able to, to, to stick around long enough where it can make a difference. Correct. And my, my younger brother is a chef. He never went to school, but he's a hard worker and he's climbed the ladder, you know, blessfully. Mm -hmm. But I wish he hadn't went to school. We talk about it, but obviously that's, you know, that's me here now. He's been in the industry over 14 years. He's doing well for himself. But I think it's important to, 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 for people to see a different side of it. And I feel like, 
you know, we have a lot of mentors out here and straight chefs. It would be great to do it my way. Mm-hmm. And I think that people would understand it. I, you know, I, not only do I think, um, and that's really inspiring to hear because I, I kind of stayed away from culinary school. Most people, uh, they asked me, how, did I go? And I said, yeah, I went to the school of hard knocks. You know, that was mm-hmm. it. But that shows the versatility of not only uh, us in a community of, of chefs, but the versatility of us as African-American chefs that one can go to school, uh, be successful. One cannot go or didn't go to school and be successful. However, their careers can parallel in a lot of different ways and still learn from each other. I mean, that to me is what the essence of, of cooking is, is sharing these recipes with people. And now you're sharing it on one of the biggest stages in Las Vegas, which, um, you know, I'm, I'm checking my, my text messages right now because I still don't see an invite uh, from you on, in my text message. But we'll talk about that offline. Uh, is any, uh, <laughs> where can, we, can everyone find you on IG uh, and other social media? Well, first, I'll make sure I get you the invite, Chef. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> I, I, I'm just humbled that you took a time out of your schedule today to even, uh, you know, do this podcast with me. Always, always, always. Uh, on uh, IG, you can find mm-hmm. me at Chef underscore LJM. Um, you want to find out what we do at the restaurant, too, you can go to Flamingo Las Vegas on IG, um, Facebook. Lamar J. Moore, Instagram, Lamar J. Moore. And at Bugsy and Myers Steakhouse, uh, what's the perfect temperature for a steak there? <laughs> perfect temperature for a steak is medium rare. Okay, so like you, you passed the test, of course. Uh, thank, you, thank you, my friend. Uh, hot off winning uh, Vegas Chef Prize fight at the Flamingo Las Vegas. I am really humbled and uh, very thankful for my good friend, Chef Lamar Moore, for stopping by podcast. You're listening to Soul by Todd Richards. Soul by Todd Richards is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food Radio Supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of Food World's most innovative community? Subscribe to shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.